What's up, hysterical people? I am so excited today to welcome to the podcast, Christine Monkhouse. She's a patient advocate. She's founder and CEO of Patient Order. And so thank you for joining me, Christine. Welcome. Thank you, Pamela. I'm so excited to be here, to be speaking with you. And for the listening audience, I'm glad that you're all joining. Yes, absolutely. So, Christine, I know I just barely touched the surface of what you are all about and what you're doing these days. I'm so excited to have you here because what you, I think, have to say is so important and impactful for us to understand. So why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Yes. So for folks who don't know who I am, uh, Christine Monkhouse, I'm the founder and CEO of Patient Orator. Um, which is really about making sure that the patient voice is heard. So we help people uh, to learn how to tell their healthcare stories so that they can be heard in their doctor's appointment. Uh, and we do so through a mobile health app. I'm also an advocate for patient rights, patient voice, and for a woman's health. Fantastic. This is why you're here. So we wanted to dig into some really important topics now that the Dobbs decision has overturned Roe v. Wade especially. But there just are so many other topics within healthcare that also are impacting the oppressed populations that we care a lot about and want to help. So I'd love to just dig in a little bit. And I know you have a lot of experience and knowledge about economics in healthcare and potentially how these abortion bans have affected some of the economics out there. Because I know that you have a lot of insight into what's been going on from your healthcare advocate perspective, as well as your patient order experience um, as an entrepreneur. Because it's just so tragic, especially in this country. The United States, of all countries, is one of the worst when it comes to maternal mortality, especially in the BIPOC populations. So it's been really breaking my heart ever since I started paying attention. And, you know, I'm trying to help our listeners understand a little bit more about it. And at the end of the day, figure out what we can do about it, you know, to help people. So why don't you tell us a little bit from your perspective about maternal mortality and help our listeners understand why it's such a problem? So I think the first part of it is that we don't listen to people in healthcare systems. Healthcare professionals generally tend to not listen to folks when they come in, particularly women. And as it relates to pain symptoms, women have been labeled as hysterical uh, rather than being believed for their issues. So regardless of the color of a person's skin, uh, if you're a woman, you have been labeled as hysterical for these issues and there's that data to, to kind of back this up. But where it becomes an issue as it relates to the BIPOC population is that there are racial biases that exist uh, within healthcare and implicit biases. So sticking on the topic of pain, there are biases related to, or racial biases rather, related to pain assessments among Black patients, where there was one study done where it is believed by more than half of the medical students that were studied, these trainees, um, they believe the myth that Black people's skin is thicker in comparison to white people's skin, and the nerve ending is different from their white counterparts, which is absolutely not true. This leads to Black patients uh, not being believed, not being taken seriously, being left untreated. 
And there we have negative consequences are the outcome of poor health outcomes among this population. As it relates to Black women's uh, maternal mortality, we know that Black women are three times more likely to die from pregnancy-related complications or pre-existing conditions that might be exacerbated during pregnancy or even after childbirth that these things could happen when it compares to white women. A major reason for that is the issue of implicit bias, where individuals carry certain beliefs about other people based on their race, their gender, their ethnicity, their class even, and other factors as well, carry these biases with them and then subsequently treat or not treat individuals based on those personal beliefs. And so those are some of the, the reasons and, and issues that we have when it comes to maternal mortality in this country. Ugh, so frustrating to hear that. I'm a white woman, so you know, it's like I didn't even really realize until it started. I hadn't paid attention, but it did start really making the news, I feel, more that people were eliminating the issue. I know some famous people, right? Was it Serena Williams? Did she have a problem? And that kind of made put maternal mortality on the map for the rest of us, I guess, which is tragic that it takes a famous person to have an issue to have other people pay attention. I'm glad that, you know, at least that helped us get the word out. So it sounds like it's more of a systemic overarching problem. It's not like we can add a course in medical school to get these doctors to just listen better. You know, what are some overarching suggestions maybe that we can do to help this issue? We have to hold our elected officials accountable for representing our interests. And therefore, we have to show up and voice our opinion and make sure that what, what our needs are are heard in decision making as it relates to policy. So that's a, that's a big piece of it, because the policy piece plays a huge role in ultimately health outcomes and the, the way in which people are treated, the way in which they have access to care and, and those kind of factors. That's one piece. The second piece is how we show up in our healthcare visits, making sure that our voices are heard, that if we believe that someone is not treating us um, fairly based on the color of our skin, the fact that we are women, the fact that we might come from a low-income household, whatever issues we might have happening economically, if we think that people are not treating us equally for those reasons, we have to speak up and make sure that our voices are heard. I think it will take a multifactorial approach to really address some of the poor drivers of health. So it won't be just the policy piece. The policy piece will have to drive the dollar as well, and then ultimately be able to address some of the social factors, such as if a person you know, is facing challenges related to emotional health after they've had a baby. If they don't have the financial resources to make their follow-up appointments and so on and so forth. So it's making sure the social pieces are there so that people can really meet their basic needs, making sure that the financial pieces are there as well in combination with the social, making sure that the policy on our federal level supports and endorses women being treated equally regardless of you know their socioeconomic background. And then on the individual systems themselves, having people on the front lines that will treat people like people is a, is an important piece of it. Oh, wow. Absolutely. Yeah. It's all, all of us as a society need to, to help this cause. Also making sure that people who are pregnant have access to healthy food and, and healthcare, you know, early on in their pregnancy or don't live in food deserts and 
these other situations that are also causing unhealthy situations that will, you know, exacerbate the problem as well. So it's, it's a lot. It's getting the healthcare professionals to be better. It's getting the patients to speak up more. It's getting in general, less medical complications because of healthier food access and vitamins and other types of care, I think early on in the process would also help. So thank you. Anything else to add on this topic? Yeah, I think that in my own journey, I have had to learn to speak up for myself through poor experiences, because my assumption was that people were treated equally. But even so, I was aware that people were not treated equally. So that 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 statement might have contradicted itself. I worked on the front lines of healthcare for many years and um, working in neighborhoods that working class Americans live. I saw the disparity in care and treatment. I saw how people were ignored. They were coming into health systems, they were discharged, and then they would return a week later because these social pieces were not met. Their care wasn't coordinated accordingly to facilitate health beyond the walls of healthcare. So, you know, I had this awareness, but in my own personal journey of going through it, for me, my healthcare journey started with this issue related to uterine fibroids, a condition that I lived with for several years. I saw actually about seven different doctors before one would finally listen to me, hear my voice, and recommend the appropriate follow-up care so that I can get a scan and know what's happening within my body. And that's when I found out that I had the condition called uterine fibroids. That was three years of suffering, pain, prolonged, you know, whatever you want to call it. But in that as well is the high financial piece of it, where the insurance company subsequently ended up paying more for my individual health costs because my issue wasn't treated appropriately to begin with during that first visit that I had. And there, this is a condition that impacts uh, disproportionately Black women, and it leads to issues such as pregnancy complication, which in my case, I did have pregnancy complication, having a miscarriage and also having a complicated birth of my first child. So there's a lot of pieces that could really be addressed if people are taken seriously and the right system is in place to ensure that the voice of the patient is heard and also that the treatment is more holistic. Yeah, it's so crazy that somebody like you, who's a professional in the healthcare field, and you're knowledgeable about all this stuff, but you still had your own experience where you had to shop around and to find the right healthcare provider. And you were were even second guessing your own situation where you were like, am I getting the right care? Are they ignoring me, etc. So, you know, that breaks my heart to hear because, you know, you're knowledgeable enough and to know, so there's so many people out there that aren't, that wouldn't have gone to that second, third, fourth, fifth doctor to get the right answer. It's just tragic to hear that somebody like you had to go through that. Yeah, I think for me, my journey started when I was fairly young. I was in graduate school at the time and, you know, really listening to my body and knowing that something is wrong played a key role in that, in me going back to the doctor's appointment. This wasn't something that I was making up in my head. This was, you know, for me, pain has been a consistent issue um, throughout my young adult life. So, you know, having pain in one particular area, my lower abdomen, for example, and consistently going to healthcare professionals and saying, this is the problem, only to be dismissed, to return home to the same problem was a negative cycle that, 
you know, it could impact anyone psychologically and most certainly physically with that pain that I was experiencing. I learned to voice my health concerns in that process. It didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen because I was working on the front lines during those years and, and I, I, you know, I knew how to communicate with healthcare professionals. It happened through, unfortunately, experiences that caused prolonged suffering and that very issue of implicit bias where, you know, I looked young, I looked healthy, people assumed that I was, but I had this issue with chronic pain, which if it had been taken seriously and I had not been ignored, maybe my race played a factor in that, right? Like a young black woman comes in she's fine. Let's just send her home. Not even being offered pain medication, for example. Those are things that I lived with for several years. And and like I said before, had to learn how to speak for myself. Wow, that's so tragic. I'm glad that you've gotten the help that you, you needed eventually. I'm sorry it took so long. But yeah, I feel like this is so important for our listeners, you know, to hear maybe some of them out there need to push harder at their healthcare providers for some condition that they're wondering about, regardless of your race. But of course, it sounds like it's a much worse problem problem for the BIPOC populations out there. And especially when we're trying to, you know, gosh, it's like the religious right want us to have all these babies, apparently. So it's like, why don't you do better about giving us better access to healthcare and not forcing us to have babies, of course, but making it a more healthy proposition for women. Because what I've learned over the, the course of the year and a half that I've been kind of working in this area is that pregnancy is like, there's a lot of complications. And it's not super easy for everybody to deal with. Even a healthy, wonderful, perfect pregnancy is a lot. And there's weird things your body's doing. You're like, what is going on? And, you know, all of this in a normal, perfect, healthy world. So how are you supposed to know when something's wrong, you know? And it really, you know, obviously you go to your prenatal appointments and all this, but yeah, you've got to have both the wherewithal to speak up and make sure you, you know, talk about pain or whatever you might be feeling in a pregnancy, something that might not be right. But the healthcare professionals need to ask all those questions as well and be skeptical, you know, until they satisfy that everything's going okay with the pregnancy. What I've found is that people just don't talk about this stuff, right? People don't talk about their abortion. People don't talk about their complicated pregnancies. They don't talk about their miscarriages too much sometimes. And I'm now in menopause. Oh my God. Nobody told me all of this stuff that I'm now dealing with. (laughs) So yeah, people don't talk about it, but we're talking about it here on this podcast. So thank you. You know, it's so interesting. I came across the terminology of reproductive justice, which I think is really important and better than reproductive rights, because it also includes people like me who didn't have children, the right to not have a child. And it also includes the overarching societal issues because it includes the right to nurture the children we have in a safe and healthy environment. So I think that taps back into this maternal mortality issue that we're seeing here in the United States. So I don't know, is the term reproductive justice justice um, interesting to you? How does that resonate with you? Yeah, it's interesting because I the terminology itself is something that I'm not familiar with, but the work that I've been doing um, in terms of the patient voice, the person being able to really have autonomy over their health and well-being, I think that is the piece that resonate, right? So whether a person chooses to have children or not have children, and the, you know, my understanding of this is that it has a piece which encompasses the right to nurture children that we have in a safe and healthy environment. 
that really ties back to the socioeconomic factors that I spoke of earlier in the conversation, where it is important to address those social drivers of a person's health and well-being as a part of healthcare, right? So making sure that that information is collected from patients, making sure that they're comfortable with sharing that information. And if they do have some barriers, how can we facilitate those barriers? The more complex pieces of this is environment. You know, is it regarding the physical environment that a person lived, lives in? Or is it regarding domestic abuse, for example, where a person might be in a situation where their partner, it's unsafe for them based on how their partner treats them or the people around them. So it's a very complex terminology, but in essence, it's are we safe as human beings? Are we able to carry children? And if we don't want to, that's okay too. And that I think that's what reproductive justice is getting to. And I think it's important for that to be a part of the discussion. So yeah. Great. Wonderful. Yeah, I love it because it, it sort of includes me, the right to not have a child. It was refreshing. You know, when when we look at the cost to have a child in the United States, it's not it's not something that's affordable. It's eighteen thousand dollars. That's not including the cost of child care afterwards. You know, when I say $18,000 is the average cost of having a child in the United States, that doesn't include the different type of births that a person might have, uh, whether it's a cesarean birth or it's a vaginal delivery. Those are all factors that, you know, really could drive the cost up for that pregnancy and that birth. So there are all these factors and these pieces that makes it more complex than just childbirth is $18,000 on average, right? And, you know, what happens after the child is born? You know, do they have a safe environment to be in themselves? Does the mother have a safe environment to be in? What is needed to create that safety? Is it food? Is it transportation? Is it being away from, a again, a partner who might be violent? What are those pieces that are needed? Is it childcare, you know, covering the cost of childcare? Is it mental health, right? Ensuring that that mother is stable herself emotionally and, and all these other pieces. Yeah, I think especially maybe mental health is probably the one that's probably overlooked the most. And all of it is so important. But, you know, you touched on that earlier. You talked about postpartum depression in essence. And I mean, that's really common, but people don't really talk about it too much. It's common enough that I think everybody's sort of aware that it exists, but I don't think people factor it in and maybe accommodate somebody when they're in their maternity leave, for example. I know when I am struggling with my own mental health or hormone imbalances, it kind of sometimes makes me crazy and I don't like realize it. So it might be hard if you're in it, you're not able to kind of see that you're having a problem. You know, this gets back to what we were talking about earlier of like seeking the healthcare and you know, making sure you speak up as a patient. Sometimes you don't even know like that you're bothered, you're having a hormone imbalance. You don't realize that that's happening yet. You're just upset or angry or sad all the time. And yeah, I think empowering people to seek help for any mental health situation. That's probably another podcast episode, but I think that's so important always. Yeah. And Pamela, it is a great point. I think that um, going back to the policy piece that I mentioned earlier in our talk, it's important to have policy that encompasses paid time off for mothers and their partners, right? 
um, so that they can have that time to heal and to to really settle in as a family. And I'm going to emphasize the word paid because the financial needs still needs to be met while this person is recovering. And then the mental health piece, right? So if a person needs that mental health service or mental health coverage, so to speak, after birth, making sure that they have the finances to do so and they have the resources at their disposal. Like these are the services that are needed and this is where you can get them. And it's at no cost to you or it's at low cost to you based on your income. Those are pieces that needs to be put in place, but it will take policy to drive those kind of changes at, I think at the federal level down to the state level and then have it reach individual households. Yeah, absolutely. I think that when folks are in postpartum, you know, I feel like there's not a lot of healthcare or, or specific to that. It feels like it should be automatic that you like need to go to three months of mental health, something or other, I don't know, or at least offer it. And the other thing is the maternity leave is too short and paternity leave should also exist. Here in the United States, I used to work at a company that was global and I was always floored by the fact that somebody in the UK even gives birth and they get a year of paid maternity leave, like automatic. So these socialized countries with socialized healthcare definitely have it better than we do. So that's definitely something to think about for sure. Yeah, I agree with you fully, Pamela. I think that to kind of sum up this conversation that we're having, it's when we think about maternal health, maternal mortality, it's really making sure that the the pieces of health and well-being that's necessary for individuals are there. Because when we have healthier individuals, we have healthier communities, we have healthier workforces, our economy improves. And so those are important parts of life that all could be addressed with this simple piece of making sure that there is holistic care in that journey. And it is not just about that woman, that individual birthed in a child. Yes, fantastic. All right. Well, this is so great. This is why you're here. We're so appreciative that you spent some time with us today. Thank you for joining me, Christine. Thank you, Pamela. We'll take on the world. What's up, hysterical society? In case you haven't noticed, 2024 is an election year. I know, we always say it, but this year's definitely the most important election of your lifetime. Democracy is essentially on the ballot not to mention our fundamental rights are at stake. This is why the Hysterical Society has started a weekly newsletter called Persist to Resist to help everyone stay informed, get engaged, and find your purpose. With six informative sections, Persist to Resist will keep up the momentum this year. For example, we have book recommendations in Yearn to Learn and inspiring quotes from quotable queens. And if you're looking for ways to spend your money wisely, you'll love Donation Station, where we spotlight charitable organizations that highlight reproductive rights or progressive causes. In Campaign Corner, we highlight notable candidates running for office in swing districts or who could really change the landscape of Congress this November. We also pick on states behaving badly in our state-state section bringing awareness to some of the worst red states across the nation and where we can find hope. And finally, we wrap up each week with a trouble task, which is a suggestion for a volunteer organization or activity to help with grassroots efforts that can really have an impact. Every week we'll have a new batch of suggestions, so you're sure to find something that resonates with you and your favorite progressive cause. So make sure you subscribe today at thehystericalsociety.com. That's hysterical with an I instead of a Y. Thanks again.
and stay hysterical, everybody. We are the universe, so beautiful.